Hello divine souls, Jamila Bernie here with Becoming the Big Me. I'm so excited for this special segment of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. This section of the podcast is dedicated towards sharing the stories of conquest for some incredible individuals. They are also featured in my latest book, Becoming the Big Me, The Great Conquest. In this section of the podcast, we will dive deep into each of their stories and their journeys and their hardships from addiction, PTSD, loss of loved ones and children. This segment of the podcast is dedicated towards sharing their stories and and sharing their journeys, not only of the hardships, but sharing how they overcame. To learn more about the authors behind the stories that you are going to hear, go to thegreatconquest.com. And if you would like to purchase a copy of The Great Conquest book, you can go to bit.ly slash greatconquest. And without further ado, let's dive into the amazing journeys. Hello, hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm your host, Jamila Bernie, and I'm so excited, you guys. I get to introduce to you an amazing couple, Corey and Jojo Rankin. They're a husband and wife duo, parents of five, foster parents, and the owners of Our Family Strong. They work as a team to optimize entrepreneurial marriages and focus on uh, restructuring and eliminating the invisible cracks entrepreneurship brings to relationships. They work with couples that still have love for each other and help them fortify the connection that they already have and business-proof their marriage. After being married for 13 years and fostering over 30 children in their home over the course of, you know, over 10 years, they have encountered many obstacles on their journey, but they have persevered through each and every one of them. Uh, with kids ages three, four, five, six, and nine, the Rankin household can be a bit crazy at times, but even with the craziness, their family uh, is the biggest blessing that they could have ever asked for. So, hey, ha- welcome to the show, you guys. I'm so happy to have have you here to share your story with the audience yeah, thank, thank you. you that's a great introduction thank you <laughs> been working on my intro voice <laughs> <laughs> let's so let's just dive right in you guys can you kind of bring us back in time and just paint a little bit of your your history and your backstory for us yeah, yeah. so we've we've been married for 13 years and um I'll go a little bit deeper into our backstory but Ultimately, our life changed 10 years ago when we moved to Vegas so I could go to physical therapy school. That was the start of foster care. That was the start of our 10 kids in one year. It was just a start of a whole lot of change, a whole lot of growth, a whole lot of failure, and a whole lot of teamwork. But Jojo and I, we grew up in very, very different circumstances. Our our parents were um, both lower income, but I've got two three brothers and sorry two brothers and two sisters Jojo also has two brothers and and one sister and that was very unique because communication is something that has really defined who we are in our story and our journey is because 
I didn't know how to communicate when I was younger. I played football, baseball, and I wrestled. And so my communication was nothing of value. It was what are we doing this week? What do we need to communicate for football and stuff? So my family connection was good, but it was kind of incomplete because we didn't spend a lot of time really sharing emotions and feelings and hardships. And that's something that Jojo did a lot of in her home except she was evaluating the relationships. And so our, our beginning started very, very differently. And yeah. she's a, we had a lot going on through high school, but after, after high school is when our journey really, really started. And so we met through a church activity. Um, one of my friends from that church activity married Jojo's sister and they introduced us. And so it's been quite a miracle that we even got together because our relationships started long distance. And I think the biggest thing, because like Corey had kind of mentioned a little bit, was that so growing up, we were around a lot of um, dysfunction, a lot of interesting relationships, I guess you could say. But um, I would internalize everything and I would put, okay, I would, I would analyze every relationship that I was around because I was so afraid of getting married in the future. And so I would analyze everyone's relationship. I would put them into two boxes. I would put them into, is this a happy marriage or a not happy marriage? And so as a child, all the way up until Corey and I really started dating, I would put these, these, everything that I saw in the grocery store, I would analyze couples at church, everywhere I was, I would analyze them and put these things into these boxes. And so when Corey and I struggled to communicate in the beginning of our relationship because we were long distance, I would put these items into the same box. And so it, it was sort of a challenge when we started dating because our relationship was new and we were trying to communicate, but our communication styles were so off. And, and that, that's where our journey really gets started is because we both had a desire for a loving family. We both had a desire to be more than than average we both had an entrepreneur mind and we didn't know it but as we really started to communicate and we our relationship started to develop that's where our story turned because my desire to serve people um it led me to physical therapy school I had to make a move to go to physical therapy school and that's where our family was built I actually do not even do anything with physical therapy anymore the Lord pulled me away from physical therapy three weeks before I was to take my licensure exam. I went a completely different direction into full time into our business. Before that, I was studying, I was navigating the kids and I was doing our business on the side. But the Lord pulled me away from that three weeks before my test. And that, and now I don't do anything with physical therapy school, but physical therapy was the foundation for building our family and so we endured a lot of trials through physical therapy school because I nearly fell out um, with foster care we learned how to be new parents and just physical therapy um, as we look back at it now was the source for our family our connection building our family in general so we had a lot of experience through foster care through um, physical therapy school through Georgia's a nurse as well and two master's degrees. So we had a lot going on in the last, in the last 10 years, but our family is built because of one choice to go to physical therapy school. Yeah. So I'm curious, I'm curious about that. Uh, Jojo, I know that you were saying that you had some of these kinds of reservations. It sounds like from being in a relationship based on just what you had 
observed, you know, um, growing yeah. up. So I'm curious, how how did that kind of transition for you guys? Because you were long distance. And in this day and age, mm-hmm. that's very, very common, especially with entrepreneurs to, to do the long distance thing. How did, I'm curious, how did that kind of transfer or grow? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It made us grow so well in a lot of different ways through trial, of course, of course. Right. (laughs) But um, basically because I had analyzed for so long and I had put these into different boxes, uh, the one thing that I always saw that relationships that were in my eyes, happy, they always talked, they talked all the time. They would talk after work. They would talk in the grocery store. They would talk all the time. So I thought at the time I was like, okay, so I have to be talking to you all the time and you have to know everything and you got to tell me everything. Right. And we do, we do have to tell each other everything. Basically, if you've ever heard of John Gottman and the love lab, I was doing that from elementary school all the way up, like Mm -hmm. only in grocery stores and all that stuff where you monitor people's behaviors, monitor everything. But basically, so I, we had to have the conversation of, look, I feel broken when you don't talk to me about things when you, and it's not even about things. It's just in general, he's just not, he wasn't a talker. His family didn't, he didn't grow up. And I'll let Corey share that in just a second, but he didn't grow up with verbal communication, right? Like his communication style was different than mine. But for me, analyzing all these relationships, I thought the only way to have a happy marriage was to talk and to have those verbal communications. And so when I wasn't getting that in return, I felt broken. I felt like something was wrong. And so that's when Corey and I had to merge our two types of conversations and our two types of communication and actually get on the same page. And so she was she wasn't broken at all. And so her her transformation occurred over six months. Um, we talked nearly every day, and I I really struggled with it for the first little while. We were talking for multiple hours after work and, and things like that. But it was really a challenge for me because after five minutes or ten, certainly by fifteen minute mark, I was kind of backpedaling. I was trying to do whatever I could to get off the phone and. Back in the day when Verizon had the, un, had the minutes restriction, they had to wait till after nine o'clock to be unlimited. So I did my very best to start the call before nine o'clock. So my time would, I'd be saved by my minute limit. But and I did the best she, to start after nine o'clock. <laughs> so we would so, have all the time in the world. <laughs> eventually it got to the point where I just realized how incredible she was. And I realized how much of a blessing it was for me to be able to talk to her for those moments, for those little bit of time, because we only got to see each other maybe once a month or every six weeks or two months, something like that. It it was only just a handful of times that we had any face-to-face interaction. And um, 13, 14 years ago, there wasn't, um, they weren't Zoom calls, they weren't video chats. There was just straight call and whatever she was doing on the other side and and things like that. And so, (laughs) There was really a missed opportunity from what we have now for a connection with Zoom and stuff. But I think it grew because I grew. I started to appreciate my opportunity to talk to someone so incredible that as I started to open up, she started to think that I was different because I have a tremendous love for the Lord. I have a tremendous love for service and I have a tremendous love for connection. And that's where I was missing a lot when I was a kid is because I spent most of my time connecting with my friends or their family. And so once we were able to get that connection, she, we got very, we got married very quickly. We dated for 11 months. We were only engaged from 
February until May. And so things progressed very, very quickly when I stopped being the burden and allowed our, our relationship to progress. And so the first three years of our marriage were incredible because we just had a desire to be a team and to grow, but we didn't face any real challenges at that point yet. And I think at that point, um, because I was so intentional and about like teaching Corey about like all these frameworks I had learned over the years and how I, obviously there are different boxes and we all understand that now. Right. And, and, you know, obviously through life and stuff like that, but as a child, I would explain to Corey everything like, okay, when, when people are in the grocery stores, I look for this, I look at this stuff. And these are the things that I want to be treated, how I need to be treated. And so um, these are the things that I feel bring a healthy relationship because divorce is not an option for me. Like I won't do it. And so that was the biggest thing for us. And so as we worked through and talked about the different frameworks and the different things to help us, that really helped us be intentional with each other. So the bottom line is she allowed me to become a better individual. And as I became better, that broke down her barrier, her fear, her worry for um, marriage and the biggest thing with her fear of marriage and relationships was she'd seen so many and she had associated marriage equals problems. And when she realized that I would not be a problem, that I would care for her, her that I would love her and that we have the same goals of Christ and family and marriages for, for a lifetime. Those are some of the things that started to break down those barriers. And I'm so grateful that those barriers were broken down because dating long distance, I was working full time and I hadn't been I was about to start going to college and my intention was I even told her this and she probably wanted to uh, crucify me for that but I told her this that oh we'll go we'll meet people we'll have like my full intentions were to start college and start interacting with my classmates and see where that led but she was so incredible that that didn't happen and a miracle that I never had the opportunity to meet other people and I didn't want to meet other people. The Lord kind of took that desire away from me and so grateful that I did because I have never met any other person that will drive on the freeway past an, an accident or, or a crash and pray for them that they'll be taken care of, that they won't be hurt, that they'll have the financial resources. And she just is so incredible. I'm so grateful that those miracles were there because I would have missed out on someone and something so incredible. So that's kind of how we broke down that barrier. She forced me to be better. And because I was better, she decided, okay, marriage is okay. <laughs> that's so beautiful. And I think that that's a really important for people to hear um, because you guys showed us, you know, showed all of the audience right now that marriage is not perfect. Y'all were, you know, right. kind of scheming against each other there for a little bit with your, right. your, your phone limits and, but you worked through it and it's, and communicated through it. And, and that's really what is beautiful about this story because there's nothing in life is perfect. And there's going to be obstacles um, throughout that journey. But if you love the person that you're with and you're willing to go through those obstacles with them, like it can be absolutely beautiful. So I'm curious, did y'all always want to have a big family? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> and in fact, I'll share a little bit of that. But um, so obviously so we had had multiple failed adoptions. We just very strongly felt like our way to start our family was through adoption. And so we decided to adopt, but we became foster. Well, first we started the adoption path. We had multiple failed adoptions. 
but we felt really strong we, we needed to become foster parents. And after, in the first year we had 10 children um, and that was brutal. That's like a child every month. You know, we didn't take 10 at once. It was one child at a time, but the foster care system is a very um, broken system, honestly. And yeah, so, can you can you pause right there real quick? Because I know yeah. that in your pre-interview questions, you mentioned um, the first foster care child that you had, you had like no time to prepare. Can you tell yes. us about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we obviously became licensed. That's a two or three month journey. And you imagine that like, okay, you're going to have a little bit of time. Our, our age range, you set your age range in our state, you set your age range. So ours was zero to five. And so we expected, okay, within like a couple months after our foster care license was open, we would take a child that would give us time to prep, you know, know what we need, but no, it didn't. So we were licensed. And then the next day we started, actually that same day, we started getting calls and we were obviously freaking out because <laughs> you usually have nine months to prepare for a child. Well, usually yeah. have nine months. It's even more, <laughs> it's even more intense than that because we were getting ready for grad school. We had moved from a place where we had stable jobs to a place where we had no job, like coaches and nurse. And she didn't have a job lined up when we initially, when we just moved here from physical therapy for physical therapy school. And so we moved here in June and our license became official in uh, January 27, 2011. And that point, that was a Thursday, I think. And I went to play racquetball. And by the time I was playing racquetball for two hours, I had already missed two calls. So before I went to play racquetball, I got a call from the caseworker that said, your license is good. Everything's approved. You can start taking placements. I went to racquetball. I missed two calls and we called them back. They weren't a good fit. But by the following morning, we brought a two-year-old home in into our home. We'd never been parents before. We didn't nope. have a clue. I was what. the youngest child. <laughs> Definitely. I was, I was the second oldest. I mean, we had young cousins and stuff, so we knew that everything would be okay. We knew that even if we messed up, the circumstances the child was coming from were quite intense. So if the worst we can do is just love this child and give him the best opportunity while he was in our home, we had no idea how long he would be there. We had no idea the background. We were just almost like you have a sibling or a friend or someone that's stuck and I need you to babysit an emergency and you've never met this kid before. That's kind of how it was. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what supplies we needed. We didn't know what kind of car seats we needed. We had the minimum for our licensing requirements, but we had to go to the store for the first time yeah. with a two-year-old, unload yeah. the car. We didn't know how to buckle car seats and things like that. And <laughs> so a lot of learning. The, that, that's the path to answer your question how we didn't know how to prepare because um, every scenario people are pregnant and they start to prepare, they start to get some baby clothes. And then as they learn the gender, they can start to plan um, baby showers and stuff like that. But we didn't even know what gender or age or anything. We had nothing. But, and the thing is too, like we vowed when we started foster care and before we took the placement, number one, anytime that they would call us about a placement, not just take it, we would hang up and talk about it pray about it, see if it felt right, go meet the child and feel if it feels right. And then second was that we would talk about it and we would try to talk all the way through, like, what are your fears? What are the things that's holding us back? Because new children can bring a lot of turmoil, right? Like whether you birthed it, the child or not, like they bring a lot of 
change into your relationship, into your home. And a lot of contention can start that way. And so again, we just really wanted, because the child was coming from a really bad situation. I mean, it's foster care. They're not, children don't just get removed. And so we, uh, we really talked about it. Like, how can we make this the least traumatic for the child and the most loving environment for the child that we can? Because obviously they need that. And imagine having that conversation as someone that doesn't know how to com- communicate important details. I was learning to communicate. I was learning how to be a husband and now very quickly how to be a father. Like I mentioned before, the first three years of our marriage were really good, but we didn't really have that many trials. But now I have grad school. I have to figure out how to be a dad and I have to have a conversation. Does this make sense to bring a child into my home? Like I didn't even know how to communicate. So you can imagine how, <laughs> how challenging that was. And Jojo would probably be like, come on, this is, you, you got to say more than, I don't know, or it's okay. That sounds good. Like she really had to work hard to get information out of me to really, I didn't know how to share my feelings. And on top of that, we were alone. We didn't have any family here where we are. And like, we, we didn't know anyone. We had just, Corey had started grad school. We had no one with us. No and friends, no We family, didn't know any nothing. other foster parents. We didn't, we had no one. Like zero. So, <laughs> so we were alone. So how did you guys, like, I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. How did you emotionally like handle this? Because I know that I, you know, I, I have friends who have dealt with, you know, foster care and how do you emotionally deal with knowing what those children have been through that you're taking care of? How do, how, like, I just can't even wrap my head around how emotionally draining and difficult what y'all have been doing uh, to help all of these children has been for you. Oh yeah, it, it definitely has been emotionally draining. The biggest thing is like, we try to keep each other in check. We ask each other, what's your story? What, what are you feeling right now? What are you thinking right now? And like Corey had said, he wasn't good at that at the beginning, but over time we we had to, there's no other option. We can't we can't bring a child into our home and have a stressful situation. They don't need that. We need, it's our job as parents to get it together. And so emotionally, we, we have to be open with each other because we couldn't go to friends. We, nobody understands foster care. So if we were to say, a lot of the time we would say, you know what, I'm really afraid of this. And our friends would say, well, whatever happens, happens. But that's not comforting. That's not helpful. And so we'd have to bring our situation to each other. And really keep each other in check. Like, what are you feeling right now? Because it is, I mean, can't tell you how many nights we've cried ourselves to sleep because a child went home, you know, because it's, it's not so much that they went home. It's the environment. Has the environment changed? Is the child going to come back? You know, it's a very traumatic thing for children. And we've had, I mean, I would say a lot of our children that we've had over the years have entered foster care again. And so it's a very broken system. So there's a lot of fear behind it that, that you really do have to be intentional with each other and try to create the, the healthiest relationship with each other, but also with the other family, like the birth family, if the birth family is involved. And I, I have never thought about this before until you asked that question. The Lord really blessed us. So the first 10 children we had, that was challenging and it was emotional, but that was the easy part. Quick. It was, it was the other 20 children that really were the emotional ties. And what I mean by that is, the first child we had, we had for three months, and then he went home to another, he went to another foster parent, foster home, where he, where he could be with his five-year-old brother and his seven-year-old sister, and so 
that was a blessing for us that, okay, he was in our home and that was a better circumstance than he came from. And now he's going to a circumstance that's better than what we can have. He was two, so he didn't, he didn't really have that much of an effect, but it, we had contact with his siblings and they were really, really struggling. They felt like, they felt like, they felt like their brother was stolen from him. And so to reunite that family wasn't so bad for us. And then another couple of kids we had were a brother and they went home to an aunt that wasn't using drugs. That was a stable job that really knew these kids. And so that was okay. And then we had a set of three that went home to their dad. The, the mom had the care of them and she's the one that had the children removed and the dad, he was working on education and he had employment. And so he didn't even know where just the circumstances, he didn't know where his kids were. And so the state was able to track him down and he was able to care for those kids. And that was a good story. So our first 10 weren't so bad because they were, they were short term and it was hard, but we had some time to process. And one of the things that makes the foster care system broken is the kids are so, there's so many kids in care and not enough resources. When we were doing our training, they said there's 1,000 licensed foster homes in our community and 3,000 kids in care. Yeah, and now there's, it's gotten worse. worse there's just not enough. And only 500 foster parents. There's just not enough resources. So this, when these children are bounced from place to place, it really makes things more challenging for them and adds to the trauma, different wounds every time. And so the foster care system does the best they can to get placements, to get stability. But what that looks like is, because the way that they do foster care is you're licensed per number of beds. And each bed is how many children you can have in your home. And they have different requirements and things like that to determine how many kids you can have by the space of your home and bedrooms and things like that. And so our license looks like we have space for three. So if we have three kids, then we're not available in the system. But if we have two kids, then we're available in the system. And so if one child goes home today and they clear that name out in the system, we could get a call tomorrow. And so we, that's one thing we communicated very early once that first child went to be with his siblings was, we need some time to process. We're not just going to turn around and drive to the facility um, where the visitation center is and, and bring another child home. We needed some time to process. And so I never thought about that until you asked that question. But the Lord blessed us in a way that the first children that were in our home, we were able to love. We were learn how to figure out how to be parents and, and things like that. And so it was the, it was the second 20 that really became challenging it's it's really really hard when you have a child in your home that for more than a year and your children are bonded and that's when the emotional struggles really become hard and and foster parents don't have enough support a lot of times because like I said they just have such a need that the child goes home another child in their home they don't have time to process they don't have time to um, take care of it and so a lot of people think a child going home in foster care that isn't involved in foster care is a really good thing. And oftentimes it is, but it's really a traumatic thing too for the children um, and things like that. And I'll, I'll share a story about one of the experiences of just so you see how hard it truly was for us to handle things emotionally. Um, so we had a little girl that was in our home for a year and a half and 
we thought it was going to adoption and then her dad came in the picture and he did his plan and he went home. But my kids were so bonded to her that it was a lot of crying for weeks and weeks after she left. And then we had, after a couple of months, we got her another placement and things like that. But it was just so hard for, for our children. It was so hard for us. Because now do we have to manage our own emotional problems or in struggles and circumstances? Now we have to deal with children that feel like someone special was ripped out of their out of their life and they don't know why. They don't know where they're going. They just know that they won't be able to see them. The hardest part is when you're at work or your school and you get a call, this child's going home, you have no time to prepare. Yeah. Sometimes there was you gotta be in this place in one hour, and our kids didn't get a chance to say. Higher. Those are the hardest times, and so it's it's not easy. It's not easy at all. No. Wow. So how did you guys how did you guys get yourself to to keep going when the obstacles just seemed too massive? Because I know it's so it can be easy to allow that to crush us, but y'all didn't let that crush you. You kept going. You kept y'all. You're killing it right now. So how did you push so- through that? I would say one of our, and I'll, I'll share a little bit too, because, um, so our nine-year-old now, he was our 10th foster child and he, Corey was in the midst of grad school. So he was in his second year, I think. Um, and we had had our son for almost three years and, um, he, we were in court just about every week. While Corey's trying to go to school, he's like failing out of school because emotionally we were just like at our end. And the biggest thing that we kept getting was, I'm a God of miracles. And I just like, because as foster parents, like there's no rights, there's no rights for foster parents. It's whatever the judge says, the kid goes, like that's how it is. And um, it, it was really discouraging because here we were like, Corey's in grad school He's about to fail out because he can't do all his tests because he's in court because we're trying to keep this child because we're trying to keep him safe. And it was this big old horrible like time for us. It went on for two years of that. And so um, our biggest thing was how we made it through was just getting those promptings, those even little inspirations. Because again, we were alone. Like nobody understands foster care. Like. It's not like there's a bunch of foster parents that now there is because of Facebook and stuff. But like at the time, there wasn't like foster care communities. There's no support groups here. There's nothing really for the foster parents to even bond with each other. So it's a very lonely ride. Unless you know another foster parent, nobody understands it. And you're on your own. Even family, I mean, because extended family and everybody becomes bonded to these children, you know, and then, and then they never get to say goodbye either. But our biggest thing that helped us was one, we would sit down and check in with each other. Two, we would make sure that we were praying together as a couple. And that when we did feel those feelings of peace, that we would share it with each other because so many times I would just get this prompting of, I'm a God of miracles. And he was, the way that it ended for our son was a complete miracle. It was a complete miracle. The, the attorney that was fighting so hard for him to leave what actually became a judge. So she was removed from the case. And the other attorney was a, had adopted her own children. And so she was very pro 
child, not pro-adoption, not pro-birth parent, just pro-child. And in this situation, it would have been detrimental for him to go home. There was still drug dealing. There was still like homelessness. There was still things that, I mean, he would have been, and, and now he's a published author. He's a, he's a published author. So it's like the things that he has accomplished in his years because he was given opportunities is incredible, but it, it's because, so that is how we stayed connected because we just leaned on each other and our faith. Well, there's, there's three additional things that I 100% contribute to our ability to continue. We learned a framework that marriage is no longer 50-50. I'm sure you've heard, maybe you've said that marriage is 50-50, but marriage is absolutely not 50-50 because 50%, that's only half as good as you truly are. You are 100% incredible. You're 100% capable of doing hard things. You're 100% needed. You have a purpose. So 100% of an individual is what the marriage should should get as well. And so 50-50, when I hear that, marriage is two people. So if you're bringing 50% and I'm bringing 50%, I'm only bringing half of what I'm capable of. And so we learned a framework that marriage is 100-100. You give 100% of the effort and the best version of yourself that you have to give that day. And when your spouse gives a hundred percent of the best that they have to give today, hopefully when a day that Jojo's very low and she can only give 10 or 20 or 30% of her best version, hopefully that's a day where I'm closer to a hundred percent. I'm closer to 70. And if she's having a tough day and she can give 30% and I can give 75% of my best effort and I can boost her up and I can love her. I can support her. I can, meet her needs and her love language, we're better than 100%. In that scenario, we're 150 or 125%. And that's much better than 100. And so if we if we think of it as marriage is 50-50, we'll never bring the best version of ourselves because when someone's low, that's when instead of turning to each other to be elevated, we often will have arguments or disagreements or feel like people aren't carrying their weight. But as soon as I mean, take score. As soon as there's a mindset shift that marriage is 100, 100, you can bring those loved ones, your your children, your spouse, along with you on the days that are hard. So, learning that framework of 100, 100 was super helpful. Another one that was super helpful is for we made a commitment that however long children were in our home, at least we would love them. And so we through foster care we learned to love at a level deeper than most. And that has allowed us to go forward because there is so many children that need us. Being a God of miracles, prayful about each scenario that we take. But I think the biggest thing that has allowed us to continue is my now nine-year-old loved every one of these children that came into our home. And he would instantly adopt them as a brother and sister. It was never a friend. It was never that child. It was never... It was, oh, I got a new brother. I got a new, I got a new sister. I got to play with. And he had so much love that he gave us the strength to, to keep going. Because he would say, oh, mom, I need another brother. I have a sister out there. I have a brother that is coming to our home. And that alone, like, how, how can you question a five-year-old saying, I got a brother that's coming to our home. You can't. And so those four things, I think, is what has given us the ability to push forward is just God 
our understanding of a framework that when I'm not my best, you can make me better. Wow, um, you got me, got the waterworks going over here. <laughs> it's so beautiful because I, I don't know if y'all know about me, but I, uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter and I was addicted to drugs myself. So some of the stuff that y'all are just sharing has just really moved me today. I have a belief that um, sometimes, you know, the hardest obstacles for us to overcome and those hardest things for us to traverse through are what makes us who we are and what give us the best lessons in life. Um, and the most amount of strength in the end. Exactly. Can you, can you share with me what y'all are the most thankful for um, that you don't have go. learned <laughs> that you, that you have learned while traversing through these obstacles? I think our biggest thing is, is to, well, there's probably a couple things, but number one, doing family councils that changed a lot for us when, when life was hard, because when Corey was in grad school and we were foster parents, I was also in school. I was working full time and it was really hard. And so if we had family councils and just was able to say, look, this is my load right now. Like I don't even have enough bandwidth to do dishes. Like how can we lighten each other's load? Because emotionally, physically, whatever we're needing during that time, it's a lot. A lot of the time where we're going through these trials, like you don't have enough bandwidth to even stand up sometimes. And you're just like, you just want to sit there and stare at the wall, but you can't, right? Like we have to get up, we have to do things. But I think that was one of the biggest things for us is we turn towards each other in our relationship, but also with our kids. We couldn't just say, you know what? Like, sorry, this child went home. I know you felt they were your brother, but just wait till next week when we get another call. Like, right? Like that's not the way life is. We can't just excuse feelings and, and hope that they pass. And so understanding each other's emotions. And, and one of the biggest things that, that I learned in school was asking the question of what's hard for you. And so if you ask your children, if you ask your spouse, what's hard for you? What's difficult for you? What's a challenge for you? What's uncomfortable for you? Any of those type of questions, the amazing response that you get is, is incredible because because you don't, sometimes you just don't even expect that that would be their response. And I have a, a little story and it's kind of off topic, but it'll, it'll be short. But um, during COVID, right? Like every school is shut down it, overnight. So kids don't get to say goodbye. You know, every, nobody goes back to school. We have an entire year where our kids did not go back to school here. The schools were shut down until I think it was April and we ended in May. So like they had a month of school. Um, so anyway, so our son, so we're sitting in the treehouse and we're doing the what's hard for you. And, and we're sitting in the treehouse, we're eating popsicles. And I get to my, he was in second, what grade was he in when COVID started? Second grade? Second, second grade. grade. He was in second grade when COVID started. So the schools had just been closed. And I just told him, hey, you know what? The schools are closed. Like You're not going, you're back, not going to back to school on Monday. Yeah. And so his, I said, so what's hard for you? And we were in on the circle. And my son said, well, what's hard for me is that I'll never say goodbye to my teacher. And I was like, why in the world would that be what's hard? Like, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, why in the world would that be hard for you? How is that the challenge? I would have thought it would be your friends or like, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Like anything like that. But it was the teacher. But if you boil down the teacher, how many adults has failed him in his life? Hmm. How many? I mean, we were his second home as foster parents. Like, he, not only did he have birth parents fail him, 
caseworkers fail him. Other, you know, like so many things fail him in his life. Of course, an adult not being able to have that closure was his hardest thing because he liked his teacher. He had a good relationship with her. She was like a second mom type of thing, you know, like a, a school mom, you know, like he could go to her, he could talk to her. And of course that was the hardest thing, but I would have never guessed that saying goodbye to his teacher was the hardest thing. And so of course with that, I was able to get the closure for him. We were able to message her and, you know, have conversations with her, but it was like that unknown of, oh no, another adult failed me. That was big. And so if you, the biggest thing that we learned was having those family councils, talking through what are you feeling? And yes, sometimes teenagers, sometimes husbands, sometimes people don't want to share what they're feeling. So then word it differently and say, what's uncomfortable for you? What was a challenge today? You know, instead of how was your day? Oh, it was good. Yeah. And, and for me, a lot of people say, oh, the Lord won't give you more than you can handle. Your trials won't kill you. And I think that's been something that I've learned is that we are incredible. We can do hard things. Yes. Um, the Lord will guide you and you can do all things through Christ and things like that. But I have survived 100% of the trials that I've experienced. I'm still here. I still have another day. Thank goodness to, to serve, to love and to become the best version of myself. And so for me, we've been went through some things that felt pretty pretty impossible it would have been quite easy to to give up the fact that i graduated pt school with a doctorate of physical therapy during all of this is a miracle in and of itself but there were so many opportunities that we could have quit we could have quit on these children we could have said oh this this one's too hard we can't handle this and things like that there were so many opportunities that felt impossible but as we just kept moving a little bit, even if it's a half a step, even if we can barely get our foot off the ground, even if we have to crawl or roll, but just move forward. Eventually these struggles will be temporary. And so that's the biggest lesson that I learned that I can do incredible things that I can become better and that trials don't have to be something that is negative. They can be something that makes me better. I'm not a business owner. I'm not a present husband and father. If I don't navigate foster care, if I don't navigate nearly failing out of PT school. If I don't know, I'm not who I am today. I'm not having the impact without those experiences. And so once I learned that life doesn't happen to me, I'm not a victim. Life happens for me. These experiences that I have, whether they're hard and they're not pleasant, they're not something you wish on your worst enemy, they have set me up for it. And so like, just one example of that is, I don't do anything with physical therapy anymore now. And grad school is so, so, so expensive. I have more debt for physical therapy school than I do on my mortgage. And that is just something that happened. And I, for periods of time through this, I questioned, God, why did I have to experience this? Why did we have to move for physical therapy? Why did I have to nearly fail out? And now I don't even use it. Why couldn't I just go straight to serving families? But we wouldn't have our if, own family. If we don't, if I don't go to physical therapy school, we don't move from Utah to Nevada. We don't ever start foster care. We don't serve these children that some that stayed forever through adoption. All five of our children are adopted. Others that went home to better circumstances. We don't have these experience without physical therapy being the foundation. Physical therapy is actually the source that led us into our business because we were at a physical therapy conference when we decided that 
we have skills that the Lord has blessed us with that can serve others. And we became entrepreneurs. It was because of a business physical therapy conference. And so now that I look back at it, I'm so grateful for physical therapy for getting in because it's quite intense to even get into physical therapy school. And I was an average student. So the fact that I got into physical therapy school, I made the connections that I have through that conference and through the business. And now we don't have family around, but we've had family in our entrepreneur space that we've created that have bonded us that have really carried us through these things. So my biggest takeaway is life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And when we can change our mindset from scarcity, oh, this sucks. Why is this happening to me? Poor me, poor me. And like a victim mentality to life is happening for me. Who can I serve? What can I learn? Where can I grow? That has helped us get to where we are today. That has helped us to be the, for me to be the husband and father that my children need me to be. Jojo's quite unique and quite special and she's way out of my league as far as being great and so my ability to not look at oh this happened to me why me why does good thing why do bad things happen to good people those kind of things if if that's my mindset we quit a long time ago but as we learned that life happens for us now these trials that my kids had to experience learning how to communicate so I could take care of those that are depending on me has really been a blessing. And we can look back at the timeline of this stack onto this. And because we had this trial, we were prepared to navigate this trial. And if we take out some of those trials, that was too overwhelming. I wasn't, I didn't have the character. I didn't have the strength that I needed to endure some of these additional trials. And so it was a building block. All of my challenges and people here in entrepreneur space talk about all the time that your mess becomes your message and things were quite messy for us for a long time through physical therapy school there was a four-year period through physical therapy school that our marriage really was tested and what happened was is we grew together and not apart and now i feel like we could navigate we could dominate anything there's going to be no trial that is going to be too hard for us because i now know that these experiences are working for me. That's absolutely beautiful. And I I believe exactly the same thing. I believe that everything that we go through in our life happens for a reason, even if we can't see what that reason is right in the moment. Um, But I'm I'm curious because you guys are doing so much right now. Like y'all have your books. I know there's a podcast. There's y'all are helping families. And I know that all of this sparked from you traversing through this I mean, this this decade of foster care and helping all of these children and and growing together as a couple and as a family and your passion to help, you know, expand that to others. How did how did entrepreneurship happen for you guys? (laughs) It kind of it was, again, another like prompting. Um, We were Corey had mentioned before, like we were on we were in Florida. And we were around the beach, no kids with us, five, you know, all five kids were at home. Like we were like vacation of our life, right? Get to go <laughs> hang out at the beach, do whatever we want. Well, we were at this physical therapy conference, which we're really good friends with basically everybody in there. I'll, I'll, I'll let you continue, but we really have to back up even a step farther than that. 2017, we experienced a major tragedy in our community and Jojo's working at the True, hospital. Yes. And that night she got an impression, your mission in life is to save families. Super confusing because we're foster parents. We're in grad school. We're doing active at church we're active in our community we didn't know what that meant and then 
we needed a year and a half of silence and faith and trust to get to 2019 when we were at this conference. And now you can continue about that is a, that is being on the beach yes. with out five kids and never stepping foot in the <laughs> Yeah, so in, in like what Corey had said, like I, I, I received that your mission in life is to help families um, a few years prior. And I was like, well, that's kind of strange because I was already in my undergrad, undergrad to be a marriage and family therapist. Like I was on the path. We had been foster parents for, I don't even know how many years at that point. And so I was really confused. I was like, okay, but I'm already trying to do that. But then when we were at this physical therapy conference, we could not, we didn't even go to the beach because we were so consumed by, we knew we needed to start our business. And over the past 13 years, because we've overcome so many things and because we, like as a child, I had worked through all these frameworks and I would analyze couples. And so we were really, really, really intentional with our relationship. Everybody would always come to us and ask us, you know, marriage advice. So their kids would come play and our kids would go play with them and they would sit and get marriage counseling, right? Even though I wasn't a marriage counselor. And so um, at the time we just, it was again, one of those things where we knew, we knew even though we didn't want to, we knew we needed to start our business and it needed to be coaching families. And so one of the, and that was one of the biggest things is we started coaching typical couples. Like we always had, right? Like we had always um, had generic couples come over and ask us how to stop fighting, you know, basically go from divorce line all the way up, you know, to happy and, and healthy and thriving and all that. And so um, we started coaching those couples. When she says generic, she's talking about the people we love the most, our family, yeah. our friends that we've developed here in Vegas without any people. And so they weren't just strangers. They yeah. weren't people that were saying, oh, yeah, you guys are great. How do you handle that? But it was people that knew our story. It was people that knew our experience. And it was people that we loved. And they would come to us and say, you don't have any problems. Your marriage is perfect. And we would just and then, then they would then they would ask us, your marriage is perfect. How do you do it? What yeah. what can we do? What can we change? And then sometimes we would tell them things and they would implement it. They'd come back, oh, the last two weeks have been so great since our talk. Other times we would just say, Oh man, things have been so much worse. And we ask them, Did you do the things that we talked about? No. Then why are you saying that we have a perfect marriage and you're not willing to copy the things that we're doing? And so that's kind of where we were, we had practice and I didn't mean to cut you off, Jonathan, no, but good. I think that was something that was very important is when she said these, these common marriages, it's people we love, people that trusted us, people that didn't know all the details because we didn't let them in because we save our trials for each other and not going outside of the source. But they knew we were struggling with foster care. They knew physical therapy was a challenge they knew all these different things they knew our emotions when a child would go home and a new one would come and our kids were friends and they stuff like that so they it was it was no secret that we were struggling but then they say that oh your marriage is perfect you have no problems it was like we got plenty of problems <laughs> still leaves socks on the floor but <laughs> just kidding but um but yeah so then and so we started coaching more couples but we started having entrepreneurs coming to us and, and at first we were a little bit confused on, because they're, they're core cracks as we call them. There's, there's different invisible cracks in relationships that can either be fixed really quickly and they just make you thrive. Like the things that Corey and I implemented, you know, like family councils, things that we did through our trials, eliminating those invisible cracks and then moving forward. But what we were finding was that entrepreneurs had different cracks than like corporate America marriages and all the couples we had always coached. 
And so we started really dissecting like what's different than them. And so we, we actually discovered that entrepreneurial relationships, whether um, they're new beginning entrepreneurs or very, very high end entrepreneur marriages, they're different. And it, it's, it doesn't matter if they work together in the business or there's a single entrepreneur home, they just have core different problems. And so once we were able to dissect this, being the results we were getting for people was incredible. And we started dissecting into four different categories, four different pillars. And we would talk about, okay, it's either a, a marriage crack, which would include like intimacy, physical or emotional. It would conclude like communication. Or is it a home crack, which is like your roles, your, you know, the chores, parenting, the children, all of that stuff. Or is it a personal crack? Are you trying to develop yourself, but your spouse isn't necessarily involved in that? Just like with Corey earlier, he had to solve his own individual crack with communication because that was his core crack. That was a personal issue. And then, and then there's the business cracks. And those are things like setting boundaries, allowing yourself to have the family time at certain times and letting your spouse be involved in what they want to be involved in and setting the family targets with the business targets, but not making them so they're separate, but involving everybody in the things that they want to be involved with and communicating business items to your spouse when like, let's say if you need to work later, like, so it doesn't create fights. And so as we were working with these couples, they started getting 10K months when they were about to quit having their job or having their business because they were finally able to bridge the gaps in their home and get rid of the wedge that was in there. And so it was pretty incredible. And so that's why we work with entrepreneurial relationships. That's kind of the gist of why we started doing what we do. Well, and, and to add on to that, we are now four years removed from that impression that your mission in life is to save families. Initially, two years ago, we thought saving families was from divorce. We thought saving families was about not fighting, about really challenging relationships. But the ideal couple that we serve is a couple that still loves each other. That's nowhere even close to the divorce line. And what we've learned four years removed from that prompting, and that's a lesson in faith in and of itself, but four years removed from that guidance from the Lord that your mission is to save families, we're not saving families from divorce. We are saving families from their business. The couples that we work with, we help them focus on the home. We help them show up better at home so they can be the best version of themselves for their spouse, for their children, which translates into better performance in the business. They're more productive, they're more efficient, they're more creative and these kind of things. And that's where the wanting to quit to a 10K month came from is because we've removed a lot of those barriers. We didn't teach them any business stuff. We taught them how to take care of their family. Their business was encroaching, was moving, was um, really the source of a lot of their trauma and stuff. And so there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are overwhelmed and not fulfilled because their relationships at home are suffering. And so that's been a huge blessing to be four years into that prompting and know that we're not saving families from divorce we're saving families from the business business so we we help entrepreneurs business proof their marriage and what i mean by business proof is every entrepreneur that i know started their business or most of them started their business so they can have freedom both financially and time freedom so they can better provide for their family or like, for instance, a healthcare provider wasn't happy with the way that things were serving. They provided so they could have a better impact, so they could treat patients a better way. And so entrepreneurs 
some of them have just grown into that and it's been part of their story and their purpose. But the majority of entrepreneurs intentionally started their business for their family, for the time freedom to get those um, opportunities. And what happens is they go so hard in the business and they believe this myth. If I just work harder in the business, my family will be blessed. And in doing so, instead of their family becoming blessed, their family becomes second place. And now they have a spouse that is really have a hard time supporting the business. The entrepreneur thinks, oh, my, my spouse doesn't support me. They don't like the business. No, no, no. They don't like being second place. And they can't support the business as a second place wife. They can't support the business as a secondary uh, for your children. You, you can't be the best father if your children are getting the leftovers because you've given everything to the business. And so that's where, where it's now very clear what saving families looks like, saving it from the business, saving you as an entrepreneur from having your children on the playground and say, oh, my dad, he's a no-show dad. He misses every sporting event, everything. Because there's two options when you're an entrepreneur and you have young children. Your children can tell their friends that, oh, my dad is the cool dad because he's there, he's present, he gives me the attention, he gives me the time. Or he can say, my dad is no show he works so much he misses everything he's not home for dinner he's not away he's not home when I go to sleep and those kind of things and so that is very tough I don't want anyone to have that experience if they were overhearing their child on the playground at school oh my dad is not present my dad is a no-show that's what happens unintentionally for a lot of entrepreneurs they go so hard in the business but their relationships at home become casual become and Jojo and I like to say that casualness equals casualties. The relationships that we have need intention. They need purpose. They need action. They need work to maintain them so they're good. And so when we become casual and our date nights start to fade, our family meals start to fade, and those kind of things, that really takes over. And the reason we talk about cracks is because if you think about a foundation or a sidewalk, you see a crack in the sidewalk, it's not a big deal. You can still walk on it. It's visible and there's the jam, the damage is micro. But as these cracks become more and the sidewalk starts to split and these tree roots start to elevate, now you've got a sidewalk that is a danger, that is a problem. And that's why we focus on cracks because you have invisible cracks and you have vis invisible and visible, both. You have cracks that you know are a problem or you know need some more attention. And then you have things that are the source of the contention or the problem, but you don't notice it or you don't recognize it or you've blown it off, things like that. And so our experience through foster care, through nearly failing out of PT school, had put us in a, a mindset where we could build connections. And as we built connections, we learned our true purpose. And everything that Jojo and I do is to make sure that children have the best opportunity to be raised in a two-parent household. We know with our experiences, we've seen a lot of destruction on families. So we know that when possible, a lot of times the best outcome is when a child has the support at home and they have a solid foundation and they're not worried about divorce. They're not worried about having to spend time with this parent or that parent. And they're just not have this time. And we know that there's circumstances where there's single parents and there's a lot of single parents that are incredible and actually better parents than those that are married and stuff. But we want, we want to close that gap. We want children to be raised in a two-parent home. 
And our method is to do it from the top down. If we can build stronger marriages, we'll build stronger families. If we can take entrepreneurs that are unfulfilled, that have a huge purpose, that are solving problems and having a huge impact for other people, but are unfulfilled, their impact is minimized. And so if we can build a stronger family, we can build stronger entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, I believe, is who is going to change the world. Entrepreneurs solve problems, and they are the ones that will help us navigate a lot of this chaos in, in the world. And so we need entrepreneurs performing at a very high level. And so our method for that to happen is strengthen the marriage, work from the top down. As the marriage becomes stronger, the parent-child bond becomes stronger. As the parent and child bond becomes stronger, the siblings bond becomes stronger. And what happens with that trickle-down effect is now you have children that are confident. Now you have a child like mine who was homeless and on and off the street to now he's about to go into, he's not even in kindergarten yet and he's just about to read and stuff because he's been in an environment where he's been loved, where he's had support and where he's had the confidence to know him. And that, that's the story of my, my four-year-old. He's been in pre-K, he's been in school, he's just about ready to read. I'm going to have four years of kindergartners with the age. Grade. And so I just finished kindergarten for the first round. I have a five-year-old that's going to start kindergarten in a couple of weeks. My four-year-old, because of his birthday, won't start kindergarten this year. But he's ready to. He could outperform probably any, any of the kids in kindergarten. And I'm not saying that in a prideful way or, or bragging, but I'm just saying that as an example of what happens when children have a solid foundation. This child entered our home with a mother who was homeless, who was using drugs, who was depressed at 16 months old, that couldn't communicate because he had so much trauma in his life. And mm -hmm. now he's had the support, he's had the therapy, he's had the things, and now he's a four-year-old that's just about ready to read. And he knows everything. Like, he's way more qualified for kindergarten, and he has one more year to learn and grow. And that's what happens when families are strong, when we put our focus on taking care of things at home first and allow the business to be second, we have much more powerful people. Mm, I love that. And I have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this show. So I'm curious if you were to give just one, I, I, I know that it's more convoluted than this, but if you were to just give one piece of advice uh, to the entrepreneur parents, that are listening, what's one thing that, that you would advise for them to help build that family relationship? Um, I would say the four C's. And so the four C's is communication, counsel, calendar, and commitment. And so what I'm talking about, so a council, have family councils, talk about the things that you need, the challenges that are coming up, the struggles that you have, so that, that's a counsel. Every, give every family member the opportunity to um, share their needs, to learn about what's going on in the business. Because what happens for entrepreneurs is they say, oh, this is a launch week. This is a busy week scaling. This is, I'm an accountant and this is tax season. Whatever it is, there's these periods where we're just not going to be in the home. We have to work a little bit longer. Our kids don't have our time and, and attention. And a lot of times our family doesn't know when those long days are as an entrepreneur. Our spouse doesn't know if we're going to be home for dinner that night. And so a family council gives you the opportunity to um, get everything on the same page to make sure everyone 
participates, everyone has an opportunity to share their struggles, to share what they're worried about, what they're concerned. And then calendar is the next C. Put your family on the calendar first. As an entrepreneur, in most scenarios, you have a pretty good control of your calendar or that's something you're progressing into to get that freedom. So if I know my son has football practice on Fridays and games on Saturdays, my calendar is blocked off for football practice on Fridays and games on Saturdays. Nobody, even if they wanted to, could have access to my time frame on my calendar because that's my family time. I know that um, we have a, a meeting for the children have speech on Tuesdays and Thursdays. My calendar is 100% blocked off for that. And those are things that if I had to pass that burden on to just JoJo, she would be overwhelmed. She wouldn't be able to be the mother that she wants to be. And so me as an entrepreneur, when I put my family on the calendar first, it goes a long ways. That prevents them, or at least it's a good start from preventing your family from being second place. So that's that's the two C's, the council and the calendar. And then the next one is communication. Just say when things are hard. Say when things need to, to change. And then commitment. Just be committed to doing more, being more, serving in a way that takes care of your family first. Commit to your family and not to the business. I'm pretty confident, and I would challenge anybody that wants to doubt me on this, that if you put God first, your marriage and your family second, your business will be significantly better as third place. If your business is third place, and all the other things are in order first, God and your family, your business will accelerate. I would challenge you that if you are struggling in your business, if you're not having the revenue that you want or you're stuck or you're not scaling, see, are you one, two, three with God, family, and the business? Or are you three, two, one, the business, then the family, then God? Because if we neglect our spirituality and our growth and our connection with God, and we neglect our ability to be with our our family and take care of them and really build bonds there. Our time is limited. And so we can always make more money, but we can't always make more connection with our home. So the fourth C is the commitment and connection. They kind of go one in one. And so I guess you could call it five C's there because you have commitment <laughs> and connection that I kind of wrap into one, but that's what I would say for an entrepreneur. Jojo probably has something better I, to say because she's quite amazing. But <laughs> if, if you will do that, if you will make sure, that your boundaries are in line and your priorities are in order because you have to take care of yourself first. You cannot take care. You can't fulfill at a high level if you're barely able to get out of bed or if you are so tired that you can't even have decent conversations, stuff like that. So take care of your family first. And I would also add to that um, with the four C's, I would identify what cracks are creeping into your relationship whether it's a personal relation, whether it's with you yourself, is it your home? Is it the roles that your spouse is having to do everything? Is, is, are they doing all the dishes, all the parenting, all the bathing, all the nighttime routine? Are they doing all of that? Are, what cracks are seeping into your stopping you to progress? Is it business cracks? Do you need to set better boundaries? Do you need to have a hard stop time and communicate that with your spouse? Is it um, individual? Are you feeling like you're failing in your business, which is making it so it's including in your home? Like, where are you, what cracks is it that you, I personally need to improve on? How can you fix your own cracks? Or if you need help with cracks, obviously that's why we're here, but like, 
what can you identify that is seeping into you being becoming the best version of yourself as a spouse or as an individual? Because if you're able to identify those things, it helps you grow stronger in your business. And it also helps with these four principles that Corey had taught. And a small crack hasn't destroyed your foundation, but a major crack that starts to um, interfere with the structure that starts to interfere with stability. And so if you can identify the cracks and help and get the, the help that you need, whether it's a coach, whether it's a new team member on your business, whether it's to offload some of the tasks that you're doing for the VAs, whether it's saying no, so you can have more opportunities to say yes to the things that push your mission forward. Those cracks are something that we can change. And I want to tell anyone that there is no shame in becoming better. Identifying these cracks is keeping your foundation strong. If these cracks are ignored, eventually we'll have wedges in our relationship and we'll get to a point where our structure, our stability is starting to crumble. And that's the last place anybody wants to be is a foundation that's poor in the business, a foundation that's poor in the relationship, a foundation of self-belief that you're not good enough. If our foundation starts to crumble, we won't be stable enough to support other people. So I think us as entrepreneurs, we have egos, we have reputations that got it under control. I'm a problem solver and so I got it under control. And so a lot of times there can be shame in growing, but if you identify your cracks, whether that's a new coach or just freeing up your time, you're growing and there's no shame in growth and entrepreneurs should expect to grow day in and day out, especially week over week and month over month, certainly year over year. Identifying cracks is an opportunity for growth and growth is something everyone needs. I love the way that you, that the terminology that you use with the cracks and the sidewalks, because I, I tell people, you know, just awareness, but I, I might steal this crack terminology oh because it's, because it's a visual representation of it. And that's just so beautiful. I'm going to get off of this call and sit down with my partner and write down a list of our cracks. <laughs> well, and that's one of the biggest things too. And if you, if you can totally take that, that's totally fine. But if you, we, we were talking to McCall Jones. I don't know if you guys know her or not. She speaks at Funnel Hacking Live. She's amazing, amazing. One of our closest entrepreneur friends. And we were talking about these cracks because we do date nights and we did a date night for them. And we were talking about these cracks. And she was like, well, imagine that these, you know, those, those bowls, I think they're Chinese bowls where they break them on purpose mm. and they rebuild them with gold. Yeah. And so it is mm. basically like that. Every relationship, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Like Everybody would always talk about our marriage being perfect, but there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. We all have to learn. We all have to grow. We all have trials, like, but it's how we create our relationship. It's how we let these cracks either build us or destroy us. And so if you take that bowl and every crack that you fix, every crack that gets uh, better becomes that gold. So you become this unique bowl that no bowl is the same, but it's amazing and it has gold in it and it, it and it's, it's valuable. valuable. It's a decoration and yeah, it's just something amazing. And so cracks are much easier to repair when they're small and they haven't affected the foundation yet when they haven't impeded on the stability of whatever it is. And so just identify those cracks now. And that's why we talk about invisible cracks because here's a crack that I'm sure most of you have never thought about. If you're a male, and you feel like your intimacy is not as frequent as you want, 
I'm pretty confident that the reason that is, is because your connection, your emotional connection with your wife or your significant other has faded. And that's an invisible crack that most people aren't associating with. I'm working so much in the business, so I'm not having one-on-one time with my spouse and my wife my doesn't feel connected to me. She's overwhelmed with the kids. She doesn't want to be touched, a hug or handheld or anything, or even a deeper level of intimacy if she doesn't feel connected for you, if she doesn't feel valued. But a lot of people don't associate that with, oh, this is why I have the circumstances I am because it's a crack that appeared here. And so, man, if you want to increase your intimacy, pay attention to how are you caring for these amazing women in your life and taking care of them in a way that they feel protected, that they feel emotionally safe and connected to you. And if your intimacy is fading, evaluate that. See if that patching that crack before it becomes a huge wedge changes things for you. And so that's the same thing with any, that's the most extreme example that I can share is that's something that people relate to. And it's something that evaporates very quickly in a lot of relationships that are overwhelmed, that are overworked. So just pay attention to how you're treating people. Yeah. I mean, mic drop, Corey, like you hit the nail on the head with that one. And that's something I wish that more men would understand. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that message. You guys, this has been absolutely an incredible interview. And I know that our audience has received immense value from y'all already. Um, But you have, you have so much more to offer the world more than this, you know, hour long interview. Y'all have your books, y'all have your Facebook group, y'all have your programs. Can you tell people like, let us into your world what what do you have available for people how can people connect with you yeah so there's a there's quite a few things and I'll share a little bit and then I'm sure Corey will have something but first of all just get started you can all you can join our Facebook group strong business stronger marriage um, we have our podcast strong business stronger marriage we have a marriage hacking show um, but one of the things that we enjoy doing for couples is we do date nights um, before we will coach couples obviously not every couple is the right fit for us and we're not a right fit for them. Some couples need deep therapy, but um, for the most part, for entrepreneurs, it has been incredible to see how their business and their relationship and their whole home changes when they just change a couple things. And so we do we do date nights for a lot of couples. Um, and basically, what it is is it's a one night where we go through Zoom, we teach a principle, we have an activity for them, and they're able to have that time alone and bonding and create basically restructuring a lot of things in their relationship in an hour. And so that is something that for your listeners, we'd be willing to give out for free. Um, And so if you want a part of that, you can definitely reach out to us. Yeah, you you can message us on on Facebook, but probably the best place to join us and come play is um, we have a Facebook group called Strong Business, Stronger Marriage, and it's for entrepreneurs who are married or in a serious relationship or engaged. And if that's you or your spouse, your significant other, then come play with us there. We share a lot of values. We're just starting a brand new show called Marriage Hacking, and we're breaking down some of these cracks that successful entrepreneurs had or the growth that ways they filled those cracks and sharing them for you in quick interviews. We do have a podcast called Strong Business, Stronger Marriage that is about to undergo a major um, transformation because we've learned a better way to mm-hmm. surf through, through the cracks. And so Strong Business, Stronger Marriage uh, podcast on 
iTunes or anywhere else you find your podcast. And th- those are the two best places if you want our books. Um, the one that I'm most proud to sell is my nine-year-old's book because he's a published author from seven years old. And that's on Amazon called Will You Be My Friend? Any book that's sold there, he gets every penny of it. So I like to promote that book because I don't know very many nine-year-olds that are getting in income because of the work they did two years ago but if you want one of our books we have journals we have a book for entrepreneurs that has a few tips that you can implement some of the things we talked about if you just type in Corey rankin and rankin is r-a-n-k-i-n and Corey c-o-r-y if you just type that in on amazon all five of those options will appear and you can get them in for whatever makes sense personal journals couples journals a book for entrepreneurs, a children's book about emotions. So those, those are the places that um, you can join us. And as we get to know you, as we start to get your story, you might be a good fit for our coaching program or you might be a good guest for our podcast or a marriage hacking show. But come, come into our world through our Facebook group and then introduce yourself there and introduce yourself to us, message us through the group, and we'll see how we can serve you because life is about doing and being and becoming and the better our connections are the better things are at home the better we can serve those that we want and when we serve people at a higher level we make more money and <laughs> that is money is a tool for entrepreneurs to have a bigger impact a lot of times people say um, money makes you evil or money's evil or money makes you a jerk but if you're a jerk before you had money you'll be a jerk afterwards but if you're someone that's humble and someone that has a heart of service and love and as you make more money, you just have more opportunities, more tools to have a bigger impact. So come play in our world through our Facebook group, purchase those books on Amazon, or just connect with us because we love connection. JoJo and I find our, our greatest joy in serving others, whether that's each other, whether it's our family, or whether we help you restructure a few things so you can have a thriving marriage. A lot of us, myself included on certain things, we settle. We settle for average. We settle being mediocre and none of us are mediocre. We're all pretty great. And so if you feel like your relationship is good, then let's come make it great. If you feel like your relationship is struggling, let's get it to a point where it's good. And the thing that Jojo and I do is we don't fix anything. We don't save anything. We restructure. So we take what you're already doing, make a few adjustments so you can do it better. And every entrepreneur, they love systems. They love automation. Mm -hmm. They love to take what they're doing and making a few adjustments to do it better. And that's what we will help you do. We'll take your circumstances. We'll take what you're already doing well and give you a few things so you can do it better. Restructure. And that's why we talk about business proofing your marriage. We help you restructure the chaos of life to business proof your marriage. Because when your marriage and your family is the first priority, you're not, the business isn't taking over. It's not making you question, why did I start this or things like that? And so when relationships are thriving, um, if life's incredible, life, your marriage can be magical. I don't know. And I don't care what your beliefs are, what you've heard or what your experiences of marriage are. The absolute truth is that marriage can be magical. Even if your marriage is currently a challenge or your relationships are currently a challenge, they have potential for growth. They have potential to make a few adjustments and become great. Yes, I understand there's toxic relationships and abuse is never acceptable, but anything short of that, we can make progress. And we have the potential to be great because we are children of God. We have a divine 
nature that we can be great. And as we take our greatness and match it with another person and make a great team and a great family, a great business, an impact, that's how legacies are built is becoming better, doing more, serving more, increasing your impact, building better relationships. And that's where you build legacies. And so if that's interesting to you, then come join us in our Facebook group. I know that was a long explanation, but ultimately (laughs) we just want families to be better. Everything that we do is stronger families. There's not nearly enough love. There's not nearly enough kindness and there's not nearly enough service in the world today. And if we can add all three of those to the relationships, we'll become a much better entrepreneur. We'll become a better friend, a better brother, sister, mother, father, husband, whatever, whatever hat you want to wear, you'll become better when you love more, when you serve more and when you communicate better. Mm. Corey, yes, that was a long explanation, but that's okay because you can feel your heart and you can feel your soul in every single word that you just said. So you guys, if you are listening and you want to connect more with Corey and Jojo, as always, I put all of their links in the description down below so that if you want to be lazy, I did the work for you. You can (laughs) find them very easily. Just tap on that description box box and pop on over to their group. I know that you guys will be left in good hands. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I know that you found value in hearing this story today, and I would love if you could show your support by going and grabbing a copy of our book, and you can do so by going to bit.ly slash greatconquest. You can also go to www.thegreatconquest.com for more information about each of the individuals involved in this process. Thanks again for tuning in. Thank you.